Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And, and with me today, I get to welcome back Glenna Marshall. Glenna, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. Uh, can you uh, catch us up on what's going on in your life, marriage, ministry, and what writing projects you're working on? Yeah, so I have uh, my second book coming out June 2nd, Everyday Faithfulness, The Beauty of Ordinary Perseverance in a Demanding World. Kind of a long subtitle, but that's the, the biggest project I'm working on and finishing up. I'm really excited about that release. My husband and I are still ministering in kind of rural, small town Missouri. Probably the biggest update in our life is that our church merged with another congregation last fall. Um, We are a predominantly white church, and we merged with a predominantly black church. And so now we have two pastors, my husband and then the pastor from the other congregation. And we have merged to form a gospel-centered, racially diverse church in our town, which is quite racially segregated and has a long, ugly history, actually. And so um, it has been a a wonderful uh, experience to be a part of. Challenging and hard, but also something that the Lord was really preparing my husband and me for, you know, over a decade ago when we adopted our oldest son and our family is multicultural. And so we've been, you know, desperately looking for ways to have our our church be more diverse, but in a way that is centered on biblical truth and the gospel, not just racial reconciliation, um, but really racial reconciliation being the outflow of our commitment to the gospel and being united in Christ first and foremost. And so that has been so wonderful to be a part of. The Lord is bringing so much fruit. And so that's probably the biggest change in our life and really great. And yeah, but otherwise, I we're actually, as we're recording this, we're still kind of quarantined, uh, at least for right now. So we're all holed up at home with our kids and trying to finish up virtual schooling with our oldest and turning off work hours. And so we're doing the best we can, just like everyone else. Yeah, we're, we're in a quarantine too. I, I know that you got a new ministry role with Practical Shepherding. Would you like to tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. So I joined with a ministry uh, called Practical Shepherding, which was started about 10 years ago, I think, by Brian Croft, who is a pastor in Louisville, Kentucky. And he actually uh, endorsed my first book. I had gotten to know him through a conference I was uh, leading music at, and we have some mutual friends. And so uh, maybe a year or two ago, they started a women's branch of that ministry, kind of specifically uh, wanting to minister to pastor's wives or really any ministry wife, and then also women who are in ministry. And the things that they offer, this is so great, I really believe in what they're doing at Practical Shepherding Women. So they offer offer mentoring and support services for like spiritual growth, um, or working through some maybe, you know, difficult church problems or relationships. But then they offer really affordable counseling, like $30 a session, which is really unheard of. And there's a couple of uh, counselors on staff, and they asked me to come on to kind of run their social media, um, which I really enjoy doing. And I 
as a pastor's wife and a woman in ministry, I just, it's a ministry, like the whole counseling part is something I wish existed 10 years ago when we were going through some really significant church hurt and ministry sort of trauma. I would have really benefited from this ministry. And so I often go and speak to pastor's wives at events and so much brokenness in those rooms. I mean, man, ministry families just get beat up on so hard. And so um, I am really excited to be a part of this ministry. And we've seen some real fruit as we've sort of kind of regrouped and rebranded since I came on in March. And yeah, I'm really excited. So if you are listening and you know of a ministry wife or a pastor's wife or just a woman who's maybe writing and speaking and teaching women, please refer her to our site for support if you if you feel that she needs it. So look us up at Practical Shepherding. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to say, please do. You know, a ministry is hard and, and we need to be open and honest um, with one another. And so if you're a lady listening to this, I would just encourage you to, 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 to avail yourself of that resource. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there's no need to be, there's no need to suffer in silence and, and to continue to be hurt. Just, just, yeah. Uh, yeah, please, please do that. So, uh, you know, you already mentioned this, this book, uh, The Beauty of Ordinary Perseverance in a, in a uh, demanding world. Can you tell us why you wrote it and how you hope it'll be received? Yeah, I wrote Everyday Faithfulness based really upon observation. So as a pastor's wife, I've been in the same church for 15 years. And when you've been in one place long enough, you, you see kind of long-term growth in people, which is sort of easier to see in others than it is to see in yourself. But as I've observed people who have really blossomed and grown in fruitfulness in their relationship with Jesus over the years, as I sort of reflect on the believers in my life who are maybe older or more seasoned, have walked with Jesus a lot longer than I have, there are really three components to their closeness with Christ that I think is what creates that closeness or keeps them close to Christ. And those three things seem to be, you know, regular intentional prayer, regular intentional Bible reading, and regular intentional church involvement. And as I have observed people and, and, and watched people in my church, those who have really struggled with faithfulness to Christ, those are the three elements where they really struggle to be committed. And I, I started studying Hebrews a while back and Hebrews 10 is a chapter where the author of Hebrews is, well, really all the way up into Hebrews 10 has been, you know, telling the readers how Jesus is better, better than Moses, better than the angels, and all that. the priests of the Old Testament and how his sacrifice is, um, you know, the one that pays for all our sins, the final one. And so because of what he's done at the cross, we get to chapter 10 and he has given us to God. So he's given us these three sort of means of grace to remain faithful. And it the whole, my husband calls it the lettuce passage. So it's uh, Hebrews 10, 19 and the verses of follow there. So let us um, draw near to God with a a confident heart. Let us um, hold fast to our confession of hope and then let us not neglect meeting together. So we have like these three means that God has given us and ordained for us to remain anchored in Christ and to really prevent us from wandering away. And when I think about perseverance and the way that the New Testament writers talk about faithfulness and perseverance, and I really use those words interchangeably in the book, they talk about perseverance as sort of being proof of life. Like proof of life in Christ. If you are really in Christ, you absolutely will be faithful and persevere. But that perseverance is fruitfulness. It means the fruit that is born of a new life in Christ. Um, And so there's kind of two things at work here. It's our obedience to hold fast, and it is God who is holding us fast. So it's kind of a you know complicated issue to pick apart, but both of those things are true. And as I watch people in ministry, as a pastor's wife, um, gosh, I feel like I'm coming back to these three things all the time when I'm encouraging those who are 
struggling. You've got to, you've got to go to the Lord in prayer. You have got to open your Bible. You've got to be involved with the people of God and hear the proclamation of the word and fellowship with other believers and have your heart stirred up to follow Jesus and love him more and more. Those means that God has given us are gifts and they are also the things that keep us close to his side. And so I hope that when someone picks up this book, they will, they may come to it with reasons why they're not committed to those things. Like they're too busy, they have kids, they're, um, you know, suffering, they're waiting, they're struggling with doubt, they're struggling with temptation. So in the book, I address all of those things and why we actually need to lean more into the means of grace God has given us rather than, than away from them during those seasons. And so I hope that it, someone will pick it up and just be encouraged to love the Lord more and to walk with him faithfully and to encourage long-term faithfulness to Christ by beginning with today's faithfulness. So it's really, it's written for, I mean, it's primarily aimed at women, but it is for every Christian, the regular, ordinary, everyday Christian. Yeah, for sure. That, that is a really, that's a really good way to, to answer that. And, and you took away one of my questions, which is always oh, good. Too. No, no, no. Hey, that's what your book's about. So that's great. It just reminds your answer reminds me and even the book of, of what the Puritans called uh, pilgrim warfare, you know, mm-hmm. that the, that, that this whole, whole life, you know, the, the pilgrim's progress, we're, mm-hmm. we're pilgrims here on earth. And, and so we, we are, you know, we, we hit our head, we stumble, we fall and we, by God's grace, we pick ourselves up. We look to Jesus as, as first John two, one says, he's our advocate before the father. And so we, what does an advocate do? He pleads our cause. He, de- and he's declared us not guilty, which is why we can do what first John one nine says, confess our sin. And that, you, I love how you said we, we were hold, held fast because that is, if, if people would grab hold of, of, um, I, I tell people who struggle with this a lot. If you just go read Romans eight thirty one through 39 and notice how many times it's, it's because of Jesus. It's because yeah. of what he's done. It's because yeah. of what he's done. Your, your help it, it, it over and over. I think it's like five. I think I counted one time. I think it's five or six times where Paul <laughs> makes reference to the finished work of Jesus. Yeah. And it's like over and over. It, it's done. It's done. It's done. It's done. I don't know how many times I've done. No, it, it's done. You don't have to do anything. Right. And and because you're held fast, I mean, you, you can't be let go. That's right. And so, that's right. yeah, that's really good. Yeah. And I, uh, my pastors have been preaching through First Thessalonians the last few months. And I get a similar vibe from that book. It, there's so much about the the Lord being faithful to, to what he has called you to do. You will persevere because he is faithful. And he will, you know, like Paul says in Philippians 1, he will finish the work he has started in you. If God, God is behind our conversion, but he is also behind our sanctification. And I think sometimes we yeah. approach salvation like, well, the, the Lord gave me, you know, he opened my eyes, gave me faith to believe, made me a new creature. And now it's on me. Like it's from here on out, this is me, and, you know, on my sanctification. But the Bible is really clear that your sanctification is God's will for your life. First Thessalonians 4, you know, that it is his will for your life. So he will bring it about. Now there is a, the obedient factor involved, but we don't obey to be made right before him. We obey because we already are. Like he, like you said, Jesus has done it. So we can, we can obey and we can persevere because Jesus has made it possible. If he hadn't made it possible, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, obedience is a dirty word in the church, unfortunately. It is. And 
it, hate that. It, it's so yeah, like you said, it's it's so unfortunate because we don't we don't obey for our salvation. We obey out of gratitude and thankfulness to yeah. what to what he's done. That that's dualism. No, that's actually grace. It's it's grace. Yeah. I, I like yeah. Lloyd Jones. Lloyd Jones said, um, for those who don't know, he's a 20th century pastor theologian. If you've never heard of him, go go Google him and pick up some of his books. But he said that that grace is that we have grace at the beginning, we have grace um, in the middle, we have grace at the end, and we have grace uh, everywhere. And then he says, "Grace, wondrous grace." Mm, that's so good. Yeah, yeah, it really is all grace. And and you know, I, I do think that obedience has fallen on kind of hard times in the church. Just grace and and make it be well. You know, he's done everything, so I have to do nothing. But yeah. but that isn't quite right either. And so like you can really fall off on either side. You can go to like you know the legalism side, or you can just go to the complete like I don't ever have to obey or do anything that the Lord says because you know Jesus has done everything. But you know Jesus says in John ten, is it John? No, John fifteen or John fourteen to fifteen. He says it a couple of times. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And so and it's not like I'll love you if you obey. It's not what he's saying. He's saying yeah. out of your love for me, you will obey. That is how you will be known by your love for me. Your obedience, you love me. Um, and so it, it, it does. It's a little hard to say that to people these days because that first jump is, oh, well, that sounds legalistic. But if you read the gospel writers, if you read the New Testament epistle writers, man, they are really strong on your part of holding fast. Now, we cannot do it apart from God's faithfulness. We can't apart from the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. But there is an obedient component. And um, I do bring that to light quite often in the book. I just feel it's so important. We are not called to be saved and then, you know, kind of cheapen God's grace after that. We are called to be saved and to be new creatures who reflect Christ. And that requires that we live like him, that we obey his commandments. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That That's Romans six. Uh, shall we continue and shall we continue to live how we want to? Uh, yeah. May it never be, you know, absolutely yeah, not. Yeah. What you remind me, you said cheap grace. That reminds me of, uh, well, as you we were talking, it reminds me of deep preacher Bonhoeffer in the cost of discipleship. And he says, he uses the word costly grace and cheap grace. Mm-hmm. And costly grace is, is what you just said. And cheap grace is obviously cheapening what, what Christ has done. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've, I think we beat that drum and, uh, enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what does it look like practically to take a long view uh, to our spiritual growth by focusing on the present uh, of disciplining ourselves for the sake of godliness? Yeah, I think when I was probably in my early 20s, I, I had a lot of excuses for lack of um, holding to spiritual disciplines. I And I thought, this, it was kind of ridiculous, but I know I'm not the only person who's thought this way. I thought, you know, when I'm older, I will be a more faithful Christian. I'll be more solid in my faith. I'll be, you know, really regular in Bible study. I'll really be a, a good prayer warrior, but just not now. I'll be that way later. I'm just busy now. And then when my kids came along, oh, I'm a mom, I'm busy, you know. And then it dawned on me one day that um, I was I met with a friend from church for accountability for sev- several years. And I realized I was having the same conversation with her like year after year, not even week after week, but year after year that, you know, she'd say, well, have you been reading your Bible lately? And I'd be like, no. And then a year goes by and I'm pretty much answering the question the same way. So I don't know why I would expect to wake up more faithful to Christ, you know, 20 years from now, if I'm not faithful to Christ today, that's really foolish thinking. Mm. You don't grow in godliness just because you physically age. This spiritual maturity and physical maturity don't always match up. They're not always, uh, you know, both linear. And so as I probably in my mid to late 20s began reckoning with the fact that, okay, I'm not going to magically wake up one morning 
morning faithful to Jesus if I'm not faithful today. If I want to be one of these believers in my church who are, you know, near the end of their run with the Lord, you know, who are approaching heaven quickly, um, if I want to be faithful at 85, I've got to start seeking Jesus today and, and, and walking in faithfulness with him today. So that's difficult for us to wrap our minds around because we are in a culture that does not really suit us to do anything long term. You know, we everything's instantaneous. You know, we have this very instant gratification in society. Amazon Prime has pretty much ruined me for everything, you know? <laughs> um, and so anything you can download instantly, we have any information we want at just our fingertips, just swipe our phone and we can acquire any kind of information. And so the pursuit of lifelong faithfulness is a little daunting when we don't really have the patience for it. But it is that discipline, being disciplined for godliness, it is the day in and day out, turning our face to Jesus every single day that that makes us like him over the course of time. It's not instantaneous, but as we walk with him over time, we know him more, we love him more, and we look like him more. And so, you know, it's, it's like a, I compare it in the book, I compare it to like training for a run. You can't just wake up one day and go run a 26.2 mile run, or you actually might not survive. You know, you, it's not one decision to run a marathon. It's a thousand daily decisions to get up and run and train. And so Jesus for a lifetime is that way too. It's a, it's a thousand little decisions every day. I'm going to keep turning my face to Jesus and keep with him and holding fast to him. And I think that is how he grows us in godliness. That's how he brings about spiritual maturity. Uh, and he's given us everything we need for that. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And because Jesus died to make it possible, my question to myself all those years ago was, why wouldn't you? Like, what is keeping you? It's just, you know, laziness mostly. And so when the Lord, you know, finally got my, uh, got my heart on this issue, oh man, he just captured me with his word, you know, just, I couldn't go back after that. But, um, yeah, it's it for lifelong faithfulness. It's a lot of daily decisions that don't seem glamorous or, you know, it's just, I'm going to roll out of the bed and open the Bible today. And I'm going to look at the Lord today and I'm going to do it again tomorrow and again the next day. But the lifetime of that, oh, just faithful following of Jesus that is precious in the Lord's sight. Well said, well said. We plot along, we plot along. Really good, really good answer. Uh, you know, this is probably one of the biggest issues that I, I deal with in my email. Um, and, it, and it's a significant one I know that I've, I've dealt with, with with guys in the local church and, and those types of things. Um, what advice do you have for those who struggle with assurance and they and they feel like when people talk about it, they, they make them feel guilty? Um, how can we encourage these precious saints? Yeah, I struggled with assurance for a long time. And, you know, before I really came to reform theology, I struggled with it a lot more. Once I really began to grasp the sovereignty of God, that pretty much settled the issue of assurance for me until came into a season where I was really fighting some specific areas of sin and then just began to feel like if I were really a follower of Jesus, I would not struggle this much. And then I struggled with assurance again because of that. And so I really get that. And it's just a tough place to be. And I feel like most believers get to a point in their walk with the Lord where they do question their faith and question whether they really are saved. And I just think the answer to that is to go back to the gospel every time and and really look at what, when we go back to the gospel, we're focusing on what Jesus has done. But I think when we're struggling with doubt and, and we need assurance, we're focusing on what we have done. And that's right. We need to look at our sin and, and see the greatness of it and the great debt, you know, the 10,000 talents that we owe. But I think we need to go back to the gospel too and look at what Jesus has done and the finality of what he has done and, and say to yourself too, like, 
like, am I, how am I the exception to the rule here? If Jesus's blood covers the sin of this person that I know and this person that I know and this person that I know, why am I an exception to that? Am I such a great sinner that Jesus can't save me? Well, obviously not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so going back to the gospel, rehearsing the story to yourself and um, focusing on the fact that God has accepted Jesus's sacrifice for your sins. Um, the, you know, look at the resurrection. Mm. And, and after the resurrection, we have Jesus being seated at the right hand of God after his ascension. If mm. God had, did not accept his sacrifice for your sins, he wouldn't be sitting down. His mm. work wouldn't be finished. But his work is finished, and you mm. are secure in that, and you have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. And just walking through what Jesus has done and, and what God has done in sending Jesus to reconcile you to God and focusing on their roles in your salvation, I think helps us to overcome our role in our, you know, not being reconciled to God. And just every time I do that and focus on the investment of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in my salvation, it starts to shrink that doubt little by little every time. Yeah, that that's really good. It, I would just say also make sure that we are asking lots of questions before mm-hmm. we just, you know, run and give them every, the answer that you just gave, which was phenomenal. Cool. Um, I just like to make sure that we're, we're asking questions and not just assuming oh well this is the this is the issue well people will tell us they can't help but tell us jesus says out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and so they can't help but but tell us even if they don't know how to articulate it that's why we have to really pay attention to what people are saying mm-hmm. yeah and i find um that people who regularly wrestle with assurance issues are are sometimes what uh ed welch calls the scrupulous conscience so like people who are maybe a little highly sensitive to um yeah to their failures, to the condition of their heart. And so it is good to ask questions and kind of see if that's where they're coming from. And I would say I am one of those people, like maybe prone to inward examination a lot, maybe more than others. And so when you're asking questions, sometimes it's just helpful to see what is the issue here? Is it an ongoing area of sin? Is it, you know, something you need to get some mentorship or discipleship for? um, Mm -hmm. Or is it that you have a scrupulous conscience and this is going to be a struggle that you regularly fight and make sure you're kind of working from the place too that they really are believers in Jesus first of all yeah 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 that, that that's that's critical critical you know if, even if they're I find that most people most people are they, they who struggle with assurance they're actually Christians they might not be able to give like an elaborate answer on, on the gospel but you don't have to be able to give an elaborate answer you don't have to be able to explain justification and adoption and uh, conversion and all, uh, redemption reconciliation all these all these you know terms um you know those don't those terms don't save you they that, that's what's happened at at the yeah. moment you're you're saved and so you know we have to be careful not to we don't want to say oh well if you can't explain those things and you're not a yeah. christian but you know you know walking somebody through maybe one of those terms and seeing hey uh what's the response to it i found is is really helpful um and most of the time i found that that uh people at least that have contacted me that they are a christian they have some sort of evidence even right jason Ryle in his book Holiness said if, if they even haven't even a tiny sliver of evidence then that that's a good thing so I just want to look for even the tiniest sliver of the spirits working in somebody's life and and then I feel pretty comfortable in, in affirming that but um, even even there I mean if, they, if they're really struggling I, I struggle even there with if they're still struggling with that I'm like you need to go talk to a pastor like there's something more happening I've had people like that and I'm just like hey just go talk to your pastor we can keep, keep still talk but it's like I've, I've already walked you through these things and I don't understand like why that why you're still struggling with it um mm-hmm. and 
and and that those are the, those are the times where I'm like, you really need to go to your pastor. I mean, you always need to go to your pastor and your elders, right. but and, it, and it's okay to reach out to other people. But on that one, I would just like hey, just go over there, uh, just go yeah. talk to somebody uh, to work it out. Uh, and uh, so yeah, I love what you said though about like we don't have to like people don't have to be able to explain the theological treatises of the gospel <laughs> to be sure that they are in Christ. I remember when I was a kid, I struggled with assurance a lot as a kid. And I, um, after I became a believer and I remember not being able to sleep one night and getting out of bed and my dad was in his office. He worked as an architect for a long time and he was, I just distinctly remember he's in his office and it was dark in there except he had a light on over his drafting table. So he's like drawing house plans and I came in and I was like, dad, I just, I'm really struggling with this. And, mm. and he just flipped to first John one nine. And he said, well, listen to this. If you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to cleanse you and forgive you of all unrighteousness. Just that simple, simple truth to help me understand as a child who struggled with assurance, you know, that I couldn't have explained justification at that point. And I didn't need to be able to explain it. I just needed to understand that if I confessed my sins and believed in Jesus, then he absolutely made me new and forgave mm. me and cleansed me. And so just a simple truth is what we need to hear over and over, I think. Mm. Amen. Amen. You know, waiting on the Lord, it's hard. And, and I've and I've waited on the Lord uh, a long time. And I know that it's it's painful. It's hard uh, in my in my for in my Christian life it has been. Um, what what does it look like to wait on the Lord when it's hard and, and why is it so important that, that we wait on and trust the Lord in seasons of waiting? Yeah, I think waiting, uh, whether you're waiting for marriage or for children or a different job scenario or financial situation to change or for someone to be saved that you love and care for, just whatever the situation is that you're waiting for. I think the struggle for the Christian is if I'm trusting God, then that means I don't need to do anything. I just need to trust God. Or if I maybe trusting God looks like trying to put together some kind of plan, you know? Um, it, so it's hard to find the balance of what does it look like to wait and to persevere in the faith. And, you know, I think that the the best way to wait is to keep yourself attached to the vine. So doing these same things, you know, going to the word regularly, saturating your heart with what's true about God. And um, I specifically think that the Psalms are encouraging if you're going through a season of waiting. Um, the book of Isaiah addresses waiting as well. And what I love about the way scripture addresses waiting, we tend to think like, if I'm going through a season of waiting for something that I desire, I'm lacking something. So maybe I'm doing something wrong or um, the Lord doesn't love me as much as he loves those people because they got the thing that I've been waiting for. And all of that's wrong. I mean, we're, we don't necessarily wait because God's punishing us. I mean, we've mm -hmm. said if we are in Christ, there's no condemnation for us. So the Lord's not punishing us necessarily by asking us to wait for things. Um, sometimes he is teaching us perseverance as we wait, teaching us to hold fast to him as we wait. But the Bible doesn't talk about waiting as a shameful thing. In fact, the Bible talks a lot about is good for those who wait on the Lord. And I think that's because they are trusting God with their lives. They are saying that they are not the one who calls the shots on everything. They are, they are entrusting themselves to him. They're recognizing that he is sovereign and good and kind. And they're recognizing that in waiting for him, they are growing in their trust for him. And I think the way that we do that is just, again, I'm going to say this over and over, turning our face to him regularly. The way that we wait well is to not look at what we're waiting for all of the time, but to keep looking at Jesus all of the time. And as we wait, he shapes our desires. He teaches us patience. I mean, patience is not something that you're just kind of magically sprinkled with, you know, fairy dust, you know, like patience is something the Lord grows in you. It's something that you learn by practicing. If you never have to wait, 
wait for anything, you're probably not going to learn patience. And so he uses waiting to teach us things and to grow us in our faith, to grow us in looking like Jesus. You know, walking in faithfulness to Jesus while you're waiting may feel hard because you're we get so, you know, tunnel vision on the things that we're waiting for. And I really think the answer to that, and I can say that as someone who's walked through, you know, almost 20 years of infertility, I can mm-hmm. say you wait and you wait by looking at Jesus and turning your face to him so that your heart desires what he desires more than maybe the things that you longed for. So yeah, it's a tough answer. And I think it it's one you, you really learn the answer to over time. That's a great answer. You know, uh, on, on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, which we, we're recording on May 8th right now, everybody. And, uh, but on May 12th, I'll have graduated seminary eight years and I had to wait about seven years for really an answer. Uh, I had been applying to pastor positions and getting, getting pretty far in the process, um, you know, to the point where they ask you questions and, and getting very encouraging feedback and those types of things. And, uh, you know, you should keep applying and, you know, it was just God's timing, but I, I took it personally. Um, I, I took it as why is this happening? Lord? Why, why me? Why am I, you've called me to this work. I've been affirmed for this work. Why isn't it happening? Uh, same with book proposals. I took it very, very personally. Uh, and it, and it re- actually I quit writing, uh, really for other places because, um, it, it was, it was so discouraging to get told no. But then I had to realize, then I realized when I got yes, that was really, it was really kind of childish. Um, well, yes, for the proposal, not for past position. Um, still waiting on that and trusting the Lord for it. But, you know, it, it, when I got that in last August, it, it, it did something. It, 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 uh, it opened my eyes to my selfishness, really, in, in a lot of ways, but it also relieved me. Um, and then I realized, wow, so much of what I was hoping in, it was all the wrong things. All of my identity, my, my identity and value and worth really wasn't getting, hey, I'm going to get accepted by a proposal. That's great. Uh, and so much of my happiness was contingent upon that. And that's uh, that's bad, <laughs> really bad. Yeah. I was so relieved and so happy about it. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with being happy about getting something that you've waited for for a very, very long time. Um, but so much of my life was geared towards that, that it was really unhealthy. And I've, I've, I've had to really repent of that and um, ask God to cleanse me and just realize, hey, I'm still waiting on this thing and there's going to be other, but there's other things that God is doing. And we have to look at, we have to look at um, what, what we already have. Like I have a really great wife. She's, she's really incredible. Um, and I brag about her on social media because she really is that awesome. Um, and I, I get to serve the Lord. I, I wake up, I walk from my, from my bedroom upstairs, downstairs, and I get to work and I get to talk to people about theology all day. I get to interview great people like yourself and I get to answer people's questions and write for a variety of places. I mean, there, there, I have so many reasons to be thankful. And if I, if I spent more time and if we spent time just thinking about the things that we have to be thankful for, I mean, it really would change our perspective about, about a lot of things. And, and it, we would find that we, it's easier to wait on the Lord because we're trusting, we're remembering like, like Israel was supposed to, uh, you know, the promises of God, God has been faithful to them. And they were supposed to look back at the faithfulness of God and, and we're supposed to do the same. Look back on how God has been faithful and to remind us, hey, he's present with me. He's with me. You know, he's the God who never changes. And that, that's good news. He's the same. Uh, Hebrews 13, uh, 9, he's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So That's so good. I think, you know, waiting really does kind of unearth all the little idols that we have. And they may not be like, they're good things that we're waiting for and good things yeah. that we're longing for. But like you said, like when our identity and our happiness and our contentment is, you know, completely hinged upon a certain outcome. 
around. And that is so dangerous because we can, I mean, we can all attest to, especially now in the pandemic world we're living in, I mean, those circumstances can just change so fast. And so if everything, you know, your happiness, contentment is, is hinging on these things that we're waiting for, at some point we're going to be disappointed. And yet, you know, if our contentment is, is hinged on Christ and his faithfulness, even while we wait for things on earth, then that contentment can never be taken from us. That is, you know, long-term eternal contentment in Jesus because he's constant. He never changes, just like the verse you, you just quoted. It's so good. I love your, I really love your chapter on doubt. And, and we've, we, you've even taken us back to, to this, to this point. So this is a good question where we're at here in this interview. So, so I love this chapter on doubt and how you take your reader back to the question of what the gospel is, why it matters to them. So how does going back to what Jesus has done remind us of the answer to doubt and to address our deepest doubts? Yeah, um, that chapter actually got added a little bit late. I was going to be writing a chapter on fear. Mm. And then the story that I tell at the opening of that chapter about my friend calling and saying, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. Am I a Christian? I don't know. I'm, I'm so struggling with this and this and this. And um, this is someone I had discipled years before and have watched her grow in godliness, just blossom over years. I mean, so solid. And I was like, goodness, if she can have this struggle, anyone can have this struggle. And I've had it. Um, and so I, as I listened to her, I thought, I think this is something I need to you know, inject into this book because she was sort of paralyzed with, how am I supposed to walk forward in faithfulness to Jesus if I'm not really even sure that I am a believer in Jesus at this point? And so I, the, my editors were really nice to let me just kind of change things up mid-manuscript. And so I did. And I loved writing this chapter. I remember sitting at my dining room table and had literal teardrops on the table while writing it because it sent me on a gospel hunt through scripture. And I spent so much time in Romans, specifically Romans 8. And I, I mean, I remember telling my husband, if no one ever reads this book, it was worth it for me to write this chapter because it really made me mm -hmm. dig into God's investment in my salvation and sort of working through the golden chain that uh, Paul talks about in Romans. I mean, that's our, our terminology for it. But like, if God has predestined you, he has called you and he has justified you. And then we have the glorified. He's also glorified you like in past tense as if it's already happened. It's so certain and so sure. And I just reading those verses and, and looking at, okay, here is what God, the father, the creator, the author and sustainer of life has done to ensure that I will be with him in eternity forever. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm speechless. I can't just going to those passages and dwelling on them, meditating on them, memorizing them really is what bolstered my own assurance of faith. And then as I shared with my friend and took her to those passages and walked through them with her, um, she came to the same conclusion. We were like, how could we, how could we doubt what God has done for us? Well, we do sometimes because we are fragile and weak creatures and we do doubt. But I think when we're faced with those doubts, the gift of the scriptures is that we can answer those doubts with the truth of the gospel and what God has done in sending Jesus to us. So it's just that, again, I said this earlier, but just the finality of what he has done and the fact that Paul uses those terms in past tense, I mean, just because it's so sure. And I just, I take a lot of comfort in that. So when I'm talking with someone who's struggling with doubt about their salvation or needs assurance in Christ, I am going to take them to Romans and I am going to talk through, let's look at what God has done to make you his own. And that's bigger than your sin. His grace is greater than your sin. Mm -hmm. And I just, 
I don't, I don't know of any other way to address doubt than by going to the gospel. I think that's what the answer that we need over and over again, repetitively, you know, we need the gospel for, for every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good. You know, you know, sometimes, sometimes we're, we're hurting, we're struggling. We, and we, we need to just remind, take ourselves back to those things that you just said, remind ourselves, Hey, I, I'm not hated by God. I'm a, I'm a friend of God. I'm a child of God. I'm adopted and, and called um, into the grace of God, you know, not because of myself and, and we need, you know, my wife, when I have a really, really bad day, my wife will uh, be like, so what's, what's the answer to this question? Tell me, tell me the answer to this question. You know, the answer. And I'll be like, did it? Nope. That's not the answer. I was looking for. I'm like, that is the answer to the question. There's, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. She's like, no, that that's not what I'm looking for. And then she, she's like, no, that this is what I'm looking for. And I'm like, oh, got it. And she's like, I want you to think about it. And it always reminds me, ah, because sometimes, sometimes I get so in my head that, and I know there's other people like this, you get so in your head and thinking about things that you forget, oh, that, that's what that actually means. Mm-hmm. And this is where we have to be reminded by other people. And, um, you know, we can go through the motions, we can get so cold and calculating and, and, um, that we that we forget this isn't just an in- intellectual thing it's an experiential thing yeah heart soul mind and strength yeah what makes seasons of coldness in our face so challenging and how do we address them yeah I mean I think that like coldness of heart like apathy spiritual apathy spiritual dry spells whatever you want to call it you know sometimes they come because we haven't been nourishing our faith the scripture we're not properly like defended against it um, and sometimes they come and, and we have no idea why like we have been in the word we're in church we are praying regularly and then we are just hit with the spiritual dry spell and have just no answer for it and so however you sort of arrive at a spiritual dry spell I mean the answer is going to be the same I think this like in seasons where it's really hard to hold fast to the Lord either because your heart's cold and you don't feel any affection towards him or maybe you're going through suffering and your world's just falling to pieces this is where Christians live differently than the world so the world would say probably you know take a break from anything that's hard and just, you know, rest and and take it easy. But Christians survive difficult seasons differently. I don't think it's wise to think that you will shorten your dry season disengaged from Jesus. Like that's just going to lengthen your dry season, actually. Mm. So if you are fighting through coldness of heart, the answer is the same answer I give in every chapter of this book (laughs) is turn your face to Jesus again and again. Like You actually need to keep turning your face to him in order to stir your affections for him. And it, it's hard with dry spells because they kind of affect every part of our life. If I'm not interested in reading my Bible and prayer just feels like a chore, I cannot get through, my head just won't, you know, my heart won't engage, then I probably don't want to go to church and sit through a sermon either because it just feels useless. I've just taken up space on a pew. I don't really mean the songs that I'm singing. You know, my heart completely disengaged. And so it's like if, if you're a believer, then that dry spell just really touches all your relationships. I mean, it does for me if I'm having uh, apathy towards the things of the Lord it affects my relationships my parenting my marriage my friendships and so when Jesus is your life and you can't feel affection for him it just touches everything and so but the answer is not to pull away from Jesus the answer is to lean harder towards Jesus just mm. harder 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 mm. towards Jesus because you will you will yeah. not grow in affection for him if you are severing yourself from him and so I would say to those who are struggling through spiritual dry spell you resist your resistance at this point. This is where you arm yourself
yourself. Uh, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, you make war on your dry spell. Like this is war. The enemy does not want you to fight your dry spell. He wants mm. you to just sit in it and disengage from Jesus. And I'll just come back to him when I feel more inspired. You're probably not going to feel inspired, you know, just sporadically or spontaneously. So you need to make war on your dry spell by uh, you know, putting on the armor of God, uh, fighting with the sword of truth, which is the word and pr- praying unceasingly and having your church gather around you and pray for you and exhort you and encourage you all the more as you see the day approaching. I love that language from the New Testament, but yeah, I think that answer is not to, to sort of sit around and wait for your dry spell to dissipate, but to be proactive and fight it. And sometimes it takes a lot of time, but you're still, again, you're learning perseverance as you fight it. That'll, that'll preach all day long. It really will. <laughs> uh, where, where can people go uh, to find more about your work online on social media or otherwise, Glenna? Yeah, so you can go to my blog, just glennamarshall.com, and you can sort of find everything from there. I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram as Glenna D. Marshall and Facebook as Glenna Marshall. And so, yeah, you can find my books anywhere you buy books online. And you and you also sing quite well, so tell us a little well, bit about you. that. You're welcome. Yeah, I have, a, um, I have an EP called Hold Me Fast that we released a couple of years ago, and then I released a new song last year in conjunction with my first book uh, publication called, um, that song is called Faithful Love. And so you can find those on iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Play, and uh, Spotify. Yeah, so anywhere you stream, you can find me. Awesome. Well, there, there's a lot that we could even, that we didn't even cover that you cover in this book, Glennon. Uh, just as we wrap up, do you have a few takeaways for our listeners? I, I think that if you are following Jesus, there's likely, you know, a season you're in right now or a season you're about to be in or maybe a season you've just come out of where following Jesus has been especially difficult. That is normal for the Christian life. I think we were often surprised by trials and difficulties, but Peter tells us not to be surprised. In First uh, Peter 1, he tells us, you know, when, when you're going through difficult trials as a believer, don't be surprised if something strange is happening to you. There are some things that in order to learn perseverance and learn faithfulness, it requires going through difficult things. Like gold cannot be purified without going through the fire. This is the analogy Peter uses in First Peter. And so it is through difficult seasons that we really learn what it is to follow Jesus and plod forward in ordinary faithfulness through whatever season we're living through. And that is, that is good. It's not going to be glamorous. It's not going to make you famous to get up and read your Bible every day. It's not, people aren't going to stand there and applaud for you for spending, you know, half an hour in prayer or whatever it is that you um, are able to give to the Lord. They're not going to clap when you go to church faithfully on the days you don't want to. But these things, these means of grace God has given to us to abide in Him, they are gifts. And if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you and the Lord will finish the work He has started. So my, my takeaway would be walk forward in faithfulness in the way that God has ordained for you to do so, knowing that He will bring about your faithfulness because He is faithful. Mm. Well said, Glenna. I, I so appreciate the time you've given to me and to our listeners today. You've done a great job and, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. So may may the Lord richly bless you and, and keep you and, and uh, bless this book and, and your, your ministry. Thanks, Dave. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. 
You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.